0: Well, I have a confession to make, it won't come as a great surprise for some of you, but I am not a good father. I can be selfish, impatient, grumpy, prideful, insecure, forgetful, foolish, fearful, clueless, distant, unspiritual, and that's just scratching the surface of my faults and shortcomings. I know a good father though. He's kind, he's insightful. He's wise, he's patient. He's always accessible and available. He's perfect. And we're going to talk about him today. We're taking a little break from our study through the letter of First Thessalonians this morning. And looking at what Jesus taught us about God as it relates to prayer. Our problem is not that we forget that it's God that we're praying to, but rather we forget the kind of God we're praying to and the kind of relationship we have with God in Christ. Let's flip over to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, and we'll begin reading in the first verse there. It says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Prayer was a regular part of Jesus' life. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it tells us that Jesus would often withdraw to lonely or solitary places and pray. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it tells us, of a time when Jesus went up a mountainside to pray and he spent the whole night up there praying. Luke 9:18 shows Jesus praying in a private place. There are many examples of Jesus praying in the narratives of his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and we can be certain that the gospel writers only recorded a very few of the many times that Jesus prayed. Jesus was a person of prayer. He prayed often and he prayed regularly. His disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. His disciples have been watching and hearing him pray day after day and there's something about his praying that catches their attention. It wasn't just the amount of praying that he did and it wasn't just the things that he prayed about there was something else much more significant that caught their attention. It was the way he prayed. It was the relationship that he obviously had with God that was completely different from anything else they had ever seen before. The prayers the disciples were accustomed to seeing from religious people were long and repetitive and loud and showy. They were filled with beautiful poetic language and structure and rhetoric. But the prayers were often distant and cold in their approach to God. The prayers of Jesus, on the other hand, were warm and alive. They were full of confidence. There was an assumed access to God in his praying. There was a deep familiarity with God. It was as if Jesus knew God personally, and not just an acquaintance, but as a member of his own family, as if God were literally his father. And this relationship that Jesus had with God is what grabbed the attention of the disciples more than any other single thing about Jesus' praying. This passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 11, the first 13 verses, it's divided into two main parts. In the first part, Jesus gives his disciples an example or prototype prayer to help them with their own prayers. And in the second part, Jesus teaches his disciples some very important truths about what the God they're praying to is like. It's important that we have a right understanding about who God is in order for us to pray effectively. If we think of God as stingy and mean, it will have an impact on our praying. We'll be fearful and uncertain when we approach God. Prayer will not be something that we look forward to. Instead, it will be more like we have been Uh, called into the principal's office, or we have to visit the scary, mean boss down in the big corner office. We will try to bargain with God, saying things like, if you'll do this for me, then I will do this other thing for you. We'll try to hide things from God because we will be afraid that if He knew everything, He would certainly deny any request we made. So our prayers will lack honesty and openness we'll tend to feel like the only kinds of things that we can pray about are the big important things so that we at least appear to be selfless in our prayers. If, on the other hand, we think God is generous and kind and loving as He really is, then it will have an impact on our prayer too. We'll approach Him with confidence and security, knowing He loves us will be open and honest, telling him everything, knowing that we're cared for and accepted, even at our worst. So beginning in verse 2, Jesus said to his disciples, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. The prayer Jesus presents here in these Uh, verses has become known as the Lord's Prayer. And the wording of the Lord's Prayer that's often recited and memorized by people is the expanded version that's found over in the Gospel of Matthew, verses uh, 9-13 through in chapter 6. We're looking at the version recorded here in the Gospel of Luke because of the additional teachings that Jesus gives us in the larger passage. Well, this prayer begins with the word father, the first thing that we want to see is how Jesus tells us to address God in our prayer. He tells us to call God Father. And this points out a central idea in Jesus' teaching in general and on prayer in particular. He came to create a new relationship between God and us. No longer would God be far from us and be addressed as a remote deity, unaware, unconcerned about us. Instead, we can now address God as Father in the same way that Jesus did. Jesus, he actually uses the Aramaic term here, Abba, which is translated into the Greek as "Potter." This is a personal, informal, intimate way of referring to your Father. In our language and culture, the term Father is actually a formal way of referring to one's Father, the personal, informal intimate term that it's commonly used in our language is daddy or dad depending on your age and your family tradition so although father is technically a correct translation into English of what Jesus is saying here a more accurate translation would actually be daddy or dad and that changes the flavor of the Lord's prayer substantially doesn't it I mean instead of saying father hallowed be your name It would be more accurate, believe it or not, to say, Dad, hallowed be your name. We're to approach God as our loving, caring, safe dad. It's important that we not miss the significance of the way Jesus instructs us to address God. This prayer is often looked at as a checklist of items that need to be included in our prayers, or as a structure for us to follow when we're praying. But that misses the fundamental idea that Jesus is teaching here. The bedrock thought, the foundation that this whole prayer is built on is this opening word, Father or Dad. We are praying to our Father. If we miss this, we have missed virtually everything that Jesus taught on prayer. It says, Father, hallowed be your name. In other words, may your name be regarded as holy and may it be highly exalted and respected. It's an act of worship and adoration directed at God our Father. Now, if we were to use more common language that we use in our day-to-day speech, this opening of the prayer, it might begin more like this, Dad, you're awesome. You are the best. I respect you. I appreciate you. I hold you in the highest place of honor in my life. You are my hero. And it's my hope and desire that everyone will feel the same way about you because you deserve it. That's what Jesus is really saying in that first phrase of this prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. In other words, may your rule and authority be established over all, in all spheres, whether heaven or earth, physical or spiritual, and especially personally, may your rule be established in my life. It's a prayer of submission to God's authority over our life. Submission, it's not a popular idea in our culture, but there can be tremendous peace and freedom in submission. Submission to put our life under the authority of one who loves us and cares for us in a perfect way and who knows everything there is to know, why would we not want to submit our self to that kind of authority? That kind of authority, it brings peace and security and rest and joy. We pray, Father, I want your kingdom to come and be established in my life. Now, some people, they get kind of militant about this idea of your kingdom come. They want God to come and take over the world with this thunderous power and crush all of the enemies of God in a mighty blow. But you know what? God has not chosen to bring his kingdom like that. Instead, he chose to enter our world as a baby, vulnerable and dependent. When his enemies attacked him, rather than striking back, he turned the other cheek. He allowed them to beat him, and spit on him, and ridicule him, and torture him, and finally to kill him. See, God's kingdom is coming and being established one heart at a time, one life at a time. And it's a very powerful thing to watch how God transforms a life. Rebuilding us from the inside out. There will be a final day when the kingdom comes. And we pray for that day. But we pray too that for his kingdom to come into every life now beginning with our own. The way God has chosen to establish his kingdom is very different from the way that human beings establish kingdoms. The famous French leader Napoleon Bonaparte, he said this. He said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires, but on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded His empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for Him. Rather than founding His empire by force, He is founding it with love. Verse 3 says, Give us each day our daily bread. This is a request for our Father to provide for our needs. It's an acknowledgement that God, our Father, is our provider. And this is not a nuisance, a bother, an onerous t- chore for Him. He loves taking care of us, He loves being our provider, He loves having us invite Him into our life to care for us, forgive us our sins. This is a request for the Lord to forgive us for our sins in order to maintain. Good fellowship with Him. This doesn't teach, it doesn't teach that we must be forgiven again and again in order to maintain our salvation. Our salvation has been obtained through the work of Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for our sins once and for all. If you've received Jesus Christ as Messiah through faith, then you have a relationship with God as your Father. But just like in any relationship, if one person has wrong the other in some way, the person seeks reconciliation by acknowledging what they've done, confessing and seeking forgiveness. This is not because the relationship has been destroyed because of sin. Rather, because we are in a relationship with God as Father, we want all the more to come to Him when we've sinned, acknowledging it, expressing our sorrow, so that that relationship can continue to be open and joyful. It says, Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. We're acknowledging that God has forgiven us a tremendous debt, and that we, in light of that, have no justification for holding anything against another person. We have no justification for withholding forgiveness from another person, no matter what it is that they've done. We must be forgiving people because we have been forgiven. There's no way around that. In Colossians 3.13, Paul wrote, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And lead us not into temptation. This doesn't imply that without this prayer god might actually entice us to do evil god doesn't tempt us to sin you may remember james 1 where he writes when tempted no one should say god is tempting me for god cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone but each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed then after desire has conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death See, the request here is for the Lord to keep us out of situations where we might be tempted to sin. The thing for us to see is the pursuit that we are to have for true and lasting holiness in our life. Jesus doesn't want us riding the edge of what we might be able to get away with. Instead, He wants us to love God so much that we are asking Him to keep us away from anything that would even have the potential of leading us to disobey God our Father. Jesus Jesus continues in verse 5 here on this topic of prayer. He says to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him the bread because of friendship, yet because of his shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Jesus tells this story to teach us about the Father's response to our prayers. And a common meaning that some have gotten from this story is that if we persist long enough in our prayer to God, he will finally answer us. But you know what? That meaning is inconsistent with the rest of the teaching in the Bible about God. I believe this story that Jesus is is giving us here, it presents a contrast to the way that God our Father answers prayer. Jesus, wanting to make as powerful a statement as he can about God's answering our prayers, he picks for his story, characters who are as far removed from what God is like and even from common human compassion and nicety. This neighbor, if he were a genuine friend, he would have gotten up out of bed and given this other person some food for his guests, but he only gets up because the person makes himself an unbearable nuisance. To get rid of him, he finally gets up and gives him some bread. There should not be any parallels drawn between that neighbor and God, our Father. The Lord does not answer our prayers because we are an annoyance to Him. And the only way that He is ever going to get any peace and quiet is if He answers your prayer just to get rid of you. Nothing could be further from the truth about what God is like. We can be bold and persistent with our prayers because we are confident of our Father's love and care for us. Our cries are not a waste of time. Our prayers are heard and answered by a generous, loving, caring, concerning, engaged Father, not by a neighbor who just wants to get rid of us. Jesus makes this point clear in verse 9. It says, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This is our Heavenly Father's true nature and attitude toward us in our prayers. Ask, and it will be given to you. Everyone who asks receives. Seek, and you will find. He or she who seeks Finds, he says, knock and the door will be opened. The one who knocks, the door is open to them. There are only yeses in this list. Go to your heavenly father, lay your request before him, seek after him, knock on the door. He answers, he reveals, he invites, he's generous beyond our imagination. The kind of boldness and persistence that Jesus is talking about us having with God is the kind of confidence that a person has to approach and ask for something from someone that they know loves them without any reservation. If you've attended Touchstone for a while, then you are probably familiar with a certain little girl who, before the pandemic, would call out immediately after the church service here, Pop! And then she would come up to me before I could even get down off of the stage to talk with me about whatever it was on her mind. That little girl is my granddaughter, Addie. She approaches me with confidence and boldness like that because she knows that I love her with all my heart. And I'm going to listen to whatever she wants to talk with me about. The Lord wants you and me to approach Him in a similar way, knowing that He loves us with all His heart and He's going to listen to whatever it is we want to talk with Him about. Verse 11, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Jesus gives us another comparison here to further illustrate the overwhelming kindness and generosity that our Heavenly Father has toward us. He says, God will give us the Holy Spirit, a greater gift than all of the treasures in this world. In closing... Isn't it interesting how Jesus spends so much time addressing, in one way or another, under the heading of prayer, the way we are to think about God and what God is really like? One of the reasons behind our feeble, faithless prayers and prayerlessness is forgetting who we're talking to in prayer. It's not forgetting that it's God we're talking to, but forgetting the kind of God we're talking to and the kind of relationship we have with God and it's this that Jesus addresses when he teaches us about prayer here we don't see Jesus giving his disciples a lecture about how they need to pray more that prayer is a religious duty that they should never neglect and then threaten them that God is going to be angry if they forget to pray as much as they ought to he doesn't do that Instead, Jesus teaches us about what kind of a God our Heavenly Father is, that He wants us to understand who this is we're talking to through prayer. He wants us to know God and to know how God feels about us and what God wants from us and the kind of listener and giver that God is. We close with Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder today about who you are. You are our Father. And we say to you, Happy Father's Day. You are a good Father. We thank you for your provision, your love, your kindness, your patience, that you will never leave us or forsake us, Lord. We pray that you would just burn into our heart this morning your nature and this desire that you have for us to know you and to connect with you through prayer. Bless each one in Jesus' name. Amen.